I'd like to make a quick recording note. If there's any weird audio in the recording today, that's because I'm currently in quarantine housing as I had to leave the state of Vermont this weekend and I just got back. And I am 100% convinced that the quarantine housing is haunted. And so if you hear any weird rattling or any weird noises, that is um, hopefully a friendly ghost that lives with me right now. But yeah, it's super haunted. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the third episode of Activist Listening. This week, I was so excited to speak with my gal people who graduated Middlebury in the class of 2020 and was one of the leaders of the decolonizing the curriculum movement in 2019. One of the many global movements that's made its way to Middlebury over the past few years is the push to decolonize the curriculum. It's not entirely clear where this call to action started, but the call to decolonize, which means to introduce text to the classroom by people of color with different racial and ethnic backgrounds, as well as texts that disrupt, challenge, and unsettle our Western-centric mindsets, has been heard across the US and the UK. Middlebury College is what is known as a predominantly white institution, or PWI for short. And by predominantly white, I mean really, really white, myself included. So it is not surprising that students at Middlebury started to question whether what we're learning here actually challenges our viewpoints or if it just upholds the white foundations that Middlebury was built on. Middlebury students love to announce that we're on stolen land before giving presentations, but our real intentions were put to the test in March of 2019 when my guest today, Wengal Kiefel and my former classmate, Treasure Brooks, invited all of Middlebury's quote-unquote white allies to a meeting on how to actually decolonize the curriculum. They held this meeting in order to address the white gaze through which we learn here at Middlebury, which was described by, by Treasure as a quote, site of colonial indoctrination, end quote. At the meeting, Wengel and Treasure laid out a plan to call for decolonizing the curriculum. The meeting itself ended in breaking into groups by major to organize petitions to be sent around to each department. The petitions came with a reading list the students were encouraged to add to, along with suggestions for how to call on their professors to reassess their curricula. Despite the excellent and impactful presentation, as well as the meticulous and easy to navigate set of resources, from what I'm aware, the majority of the petitions fell on deaf ears, or worse, led to the creation of a committee to think about it. It was not until the summer of 2020, during the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, that the college pledged to create an external review on decolonizing the curriculum, as well as promised to provide more funds to the school's new Black Studies Department, which was created at the end of 2019. I can't speak to how change gets made on an administrative level, but it did appear a bit strange to me that the college leapt to calling in consultants when there are students here at Middlebury who had already educated themselves on and called for decolonization. I'm also curious whether Middlebury would have even added in the component of looking into decolonizing the curriculum if Wengel and Treasure had not pushed for it in 2019. I massively admire the wisdom of my guest today, and I'm so excited to have her on my podcast. For a little extra background, Wengel currently lives in New Haven, Connecticut, and she came to the U.S. in 2005. She started off studying IP&E, which is International Politics and Economics, and she switched to Sociology and Anthropology. She graduated in the class of 2020, and I miss seeing her around on campus a lot, but I was really, really excited and um, so just thrilled to be able to speak with her today. So yeah, welcome, Wengal. Welcome, Wengal. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Hi, Sophie. Um, I'm glad to be here. Hey. Um, okay, awesome. So I'm going to just start off this interview with um, like a quick get to know you round. Uh, with some silly questions or like more um, background questions that I like to ask. So the first one, which is my favorite question ever is what is your most controversial non-political opinion? Okay. Um, so this is one I've like, um, I've come to recently. Um, I've been interested in just like mental health and emotional health and spiritual health and um, I came across this idea of um, like your attachment style and mm. it's been so eye-opening to learn about mine and there's like quizzes you can take or also I guess like talking to like mental health professionals also um, can help you like um, 
find like which one you have and it's just like absolutely amazing to learn and um the point is to like learn about the different attachment styles because most of us don't have what's called a secure one there's like fearful avoidant there's avoidant there's anxious there's um yeah different ones that aren't so healthy and but like most of us just have grown up with and um and the the goal is to reach a secure attachment style um to have like really healthy relationships with yourself and your friends or romantic or family like all your relationships and yeah it's just been like so amazing to um to learn about it and do the work um to achieve like a secure attachment style <laughs> My God, that is so wild that you mentioned that because I literally just <laughs> took that quiz like two days before. Shut up! Yes, yeah. you're doing the work. I'm proud of you. Yeah, it read me to fill. So I have a lot of work it to really do. Really will for everyone. <laughs> it's incredible. Like literally every single person on this earth has to do it. Yeah, it was great. That's actually hilarious that you mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, um, now that we both know that we're working on ourselves, I guess yeah. um, putting back to <laughs> other people um, or to yourself. Um, when do you have a first memory of becoming aware of protests or like a first instance where you were like, oh, wow, like protesting is something that I can do and that's something that I can enact change through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think um, the, my earliest memory of, um, of a protest would be um, in high school, um, either. I think around junior year, um, there was a protest for um, um, just like police brutality and um, or like the end of police brutality and um, Black Lives Matter. And it, I, I don't know if it was, um, I think it was before like the hashtag actually started, um, but it was um, to raise awareness about um, police brutality that had been um, like really starting up to show a lot on the news and um, on social media. And um, yeah, I remember some students um, kind of staging a die-in and also um, holding posters with different messages um, about ending police brutality. And, um, and I, I saw it happen and like just like sat um, in the hallway and like held a sign and um, yeah, it was it was really powerful, and um, I remember being like, "Wow, this is something that's so important to um, to like shake up someone like people's like you know just regular um, schedule to remind them of like things that we really need to be talking about and really need to be um, like working to change." Yeah, wow, and I feel like Diane's are so, um, for lack of a better word, dramatic. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. looking for a better mm -hmm. word in that. Um, like really impactful and really moving. Absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. And off of that, um, I mean, I look up to you as an activist, but I'm wondering oh, who you look up to um, as an activist, like who you learn from or who you think is doing really interesting work. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Um, and um, I, hmm, I don't know if I have a specific one, um, but, I do remember um, like in, being in school and learning about um, the civil rights movement. I was so like inspired and so amazed by, um, I just, I think just like the collective movement of it. And like, of course um, the big names such as like Martin Luther King and um, um, even um, Bayard Rustin who didn't really, um, like get to have the spotlight on him um but was like a huge um force um in the in the planning of the movement and um even writing speeches and, and such i um yeah i was just, i was so inspired um learning about the the movement um learning about all the different branches that it had um whether it was boycotts or there was marches um sit-ins um and just the the beautiful message that um it that it was spreading and um, and just the idea that like people would sacrifice their, like their lives and their reputations and just their safety for something that they so utterly believed in and knew like had to happen. Um, I remember like thinking that was just so incredible. And, um, I think, um, after that, um, 
I definitely started being much more um, aware and appreciative of activists. And um, I attended this conference in, um, in high school called um, SDLC, Student Diversity Leadership Conference, um, while I was at boarding school. And it was for other boarding schools and B schools. And um, the people that put that together were just so amazing to me. Um, the people that gave speeches, the people that um, were facilitating our conversations as a group. Um, and this was just like a mix of like, you know, adults that like do this work or um, college students that like wanted to um, come in and facilitate um, our, um, our group conversations, um, our smaller group conversations. Like they, I just remember being like, wow, like you, like you know things and you care about like other, like educating other people and um, you care about like great change. And, um, and I knew that like, those were the steps that I needed to follow. And um, yeah, and just feeling like really, really huge appreciation for those people. Wow, amazing. I love that it's like such a combination of your historical figures and what you're learning in school and then also people that you get to engage with. That's, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess moving on to your protest and the reason why I'm speaking to you today. Um, so back in 2019, you and Treasure Brooks um, led the divest, oh, sorry, the decolonizing the curriculum movement at Middlebury. And mm -hmm. I guess just starting off with that, there was a quote from you in the campus that I just thought was so eye-opening where you said, white students lack the double consciousness held by students of color. And as a result, frequently don't realize that they're not getting the entire perspective. Expanding the curriculum, you say, helps everyone. And I thought it was just such, such a wonderful way to open up that lens and open up the discussion mm -hmm. of why we need to decolonize mm -hmm. the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the whole way that you led this was as a teach-in and as a, trying to explain to white students why decolonizing the curriculum is so important. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my first question for you is what led you to decide to do this protest as a teach-in? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, once I, um, like had all the experiences I had to like um, get to the point where I was like I need to start this movement um, I um, I then knew that like you know like it needed support um, to be something that um, the administration couldn't ignore and um, um, I did at first um, like before I even like really conceptualized the idea of like making it a movement um, I did try to like um, like create change through um, talking to professors and um, and just being like, oh, like they'll they'll appreciate it if I tell them like things that are missing or wrong with their with what they're teaching. Like they'll they'll be so appreciative mm -hmm. of that, and it'll it'll be great. Um, and then they'll change it. Um, but I I then would have these conversations with professors, and um, and a lot of them would just say. Uh, this is what I was taught and this is what I teach um, and mm. just there was like there was a lot more friction and like um, resistance that um, that I expected um, and I'm sorry there was a lot more um, resistance and friction than I expected and um, and so it just kind of um, became clear that this issue wasn't going to be solved from like the student prof um, professor relationship um, and um, I'm sure there were some professors that were like, okay, like I, I'll take into, I'll take some things that you said into account and like, you know, but it just like, it wasn't in the scale that like it needed to happen. And, um, and so I was like, okay, so, um, if they're not listening to me, uh, or like just one student that's coming to them, like if this has to come, like, um, the push and the request has to come from a much greater source and in a much greater, um, um, like fashion and um, and so I um, yeah um, and thinking about um, having um, a lot more students get involved um, to to raise the pressure um, I um, I decided that it was going to be really necessary to get white students um, on, on board because um, I had already had so many um, conversations with students of color about like, oh my God, everything we're learning is like so like Eurocentric and like from white people and um, like and it didn't matter like what discipline 
um, these students were in. It could have been an English class and being like, yes, I literally only read from white authors. Um, it could be from um, a politics class and being like, we only learn American and European perspectives on things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, um, and so like that, I knew that sentiment of like, there's something wrong here and, um, and there needs to be greater representation and greater um, um, and less imperialistic and um, Eurocentric um, education. Like that, um, that sentiment already existed in many students of color. And, um, and I didn't remember um, having those conversations um, or hearing those sentiments from white people, um, from white students. So um, I was like, okay, um, white students get to be on board um, because like that sentiment might not be there now. And also they are the majority of this campus. And, um, and so if I want like a lot of student pressure, I need to get the majority of the student campus involved. Um, or as much as I can from the majority um, representation. And um, and I also, you know, kind of like reached this idea that um, administration was gonna listen um, if a lot of white students were on board because God knows how many, um, how many movements, protests um, were, you know, started by um, people of color and, um, and centered around the people of color, um, the person of color experience or students of color experience. And so I just, um, I kind of knew that some people in the administration who are predominantly white would be like, oh, okay, like there they go again. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, as like, as bleak as that sounds like that, that was in my mind. And um, so, yeah, um, I, um, I saw like great potential in the, um, and the possibility of like a lot of white students being on board and like putting that pressure on. And I also um, wanted students, um, white students to be um, part of this movement because of the things that you said, you know, like they had so much to gain from it. And, um, and we were going to be stronger if all of us um, were um, all together just invested in this idea of like um, improving our collective education. And it wasn't like, we weren't doing it for a certain identity. Like it was literally like for all of us. And I wanted them to be in on that. Yeah, and I think that's a super fair point that you made as well about, you know, having to get as many people and especially white students involved. And I think the reason, like the way that you like, advertised the meeting to begin with was like white allies. Like you say that you're like for the movement, you say that you're like trying to, you know, fight for equity mm -hmm. and for justice, like show up, mm -hmm. like show up to this meeting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And was, yeah. You know, it's this super is, effective. Yeah. Like here's an opportunity <laughs> for you yeah, to like, do we're what literally you handing this to you. <laughs> like, all you have to do is show up and like learn a little. Exactly. Yeah. And that and like the whole um <laughs> the white allies like title of it was definitely like to get people's like, you know, attention. Um and um it worked. and create that like, <laughs> you know, you, if I was a white person looking at it and being like, I'd be like, oh, um, I am a white uh, ally, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> aren't I? <laughs> so I should probably go to this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like not a good look at you. <laughs> uh, I guess just like stepping back for a second, you said at the very beginning of that, that you'd gotten to the point where you felt like you needed to lead, lead this movement. And I guess other than the pushback from professors individually and you trying to talk to them individually, do you feel like there was a specific moment where you were like, this is not working or was it sort of the build up over the three years before? Um, hmm, good question. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's kind of both, but um, I, I think I can pinpoint um, like a specific semester that that happened for me. Well, and it was that semester specifically <laughs> um, where, um, in which the movement started that like, you know, that like breaking point in a sort um, happened. And um, I, um, I had gotten to the place where I was like, oh, I, I like my major can't be my major anymore because I am so frustrated in my classes. Like I, <laughs> I can't exist this way um, as a person. And um, also um, even the classes I took that weren't a part of my major um, that semester that I just was like so interested in. I was like taking a philosophy class, like a world philosophy class and like, um, 
uh, and seeing um, the syllabus and being like, are you kidding me? <laughs> because they're like, with European philosophers, you had like their names um, on the syllabus. And then you went to like um, Asia and then it was like just, um, if there was um, an individual, like it was like one or two, and then like, and then it was just like larger, um, you know, like philosophies, like um, like religions or so or sorts. And then you like went to Africa, and then it was just like African philosophy, and it's just like, what is that? <laughs> like <laughs> literally, what is that? It is in an entirely huge continent with thousands of different cultures. Um, yeah. Like, like what is African philosophy? Like, can can tell you that's not a thing, and um and just being so disappointed by that um and um and feeling um yeah just so frustrated because like it was um it was definitely um adding up in like in so many of my experiences at Middlebury and um yeah that point where I was like oh this can't be my major anymore and also the classes I'm taking like (laughs) for my joy are also like bringing me the same frustration like this can't this can't happen anymore um and um I I yeah I was sitting I was sitting next to treasure um and I was like yeah so I'm gonna start a movement to decolonize curricula and um and I'm gonna get white students on board and just like okay all right let's start emailing people (laughs) nice yeah I mean that's just like beyond stifling to be in that environment where you're like I'm trying to learn and this is just not mm-hmm. this is not a fulfilling education mm-hmm. yeah it so was I guess whole... yeah no not at all I mean and like it felt sometimes like purposely on whole or not like it was a conspiracy right. but just like the professors who were like well this is what I learned so this is what you're learning and it's just but mm-hmm. where's the growth mm-hmm mm-hmm so I guess absolutely, like and education has to be about growth. Like it's no longer yeah. education when it's not growth. You know, it's just exactly. like indoctrination or something. No, that's <laughs> like once we know yeah. better, we have to do better. Yeah, and to have driven students trying to point that out and be like, "Hi, I'm in this class. Like I want to learn more," and them being shutting me down. Mm-hmm. I guess like on that point, um, one of the ways that I thought the protest was so interesting and so well laid out was that at the end of it we all got into groups for our major and we had mm-hmm. sign up sheets and um, petitions for professors to sign and professors to read over as well as a mm-hmm. huge list of resources for each major which was just like, an incredible list that was compiled by you and treasure and like, if there were other people who helped I wasn't I wasn't sure mm-hmm. um, and we all had to go hand those out and as a lowly political science major, um, I guess you wouldn't need to guess that I did not have very much success with my attempts to get people to sign on. And I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you envisioning for the end of this protest? Like, were you frustrated with how it ended or were you kind of expected expecting for there to be more student awareness, but maybe not as many professors getting on board? Um, yeah, um, well, the thing is like, um, I don't even know if I call this a protest. Um, mm-hmm. I I do call it a movement um, in that like there's so many steps and um, and different parts that are like um, happening in in the common goal of the, of decolonizing curricula, and um, and educating students as to like um, why this like was necessary at their school. Um, was one part of it and um, we then also had a meeting with um, um, with administration um, and uh, well not administration but like people that um, were either in the administration or um, professors that um, had um, roles in specific like groups about like you know diversity or equity um, that we felt was that we felt were relevant to this conversation Um, we had a meeting um, with um, dean of dean of um, curricula, dean of faculty, um, um, some professors, um, um, the chief diversity officer. Is that what title is? <laughs> I haven't been on. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and um, 
and so we, yeah we had those people in the room as well um to um to show sorry I'm I'm kind of all over the place right now um but so um, in, this, in my explanation my answer of this but um the um the petitions and um like support from um students and hopefully faculty were um were going to be shown to um to the people at this meeting um to to say hey look this is this is a problem that really needs to happen and not only does it need to happen um just objectively but also like your students and um many professors are behind um getting this change like um to happen um so that was like the goal of the petitions at the end of the meeting and um and as well as like the entire meeting to just really create fervor and desire for for this change to happen and um and i knew that like you know the people that were holding the power were like higher ups um administration or faculty um that could really make the call to um I thought to like to create the change but um in that meeting we really like we, we definitely learned that like um the autonomy um for this change really does um lie in the hands of the professors and um like <laughs> if I had the time <laughs> as a Middlebury student would I have gathered like all of the professors at Middlebury <laughs> to do like a similar teaching absolutely <laughs> um but no I did not and um didn't have the power or time to do that and um and so it was just like trying to create like different um channels through um through which to get uh, um professors to um to have like some serious work on their curricula and um um yeah does that answer your question yeah totally and i feel like going back to what you said originally about you know professors saying this is what i learned so this is what i'm teaching by creating these new channels and by showing professors that there are different ways to teach and there's so many students who need and want this different way of learning. It's showing yeah. that they don't have to be trapped in the academia that they grew up with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, um, exactly, and where administration could come in was to, um, like if a professor didn't exactly know what it meant um, to do this work to, um, to really look at everything that they were assigning and to like give it a decolonizing lens. Um, like we, um, we talked to the people, um, the, administrator, the administrators and um, faculty in that meeting um, to say, you know, like whatever support professors need, like let's give them that. Is it workshops? Is it conferences? Is it um, people that have done this work in other places to come in? and um, give lectures or just teach. Um, and um, we created um, uh, a position for students actually, because you know, like students also have this knowledge. And um, so we created positions for students to, um, um, to be not exactly, um, um, what's that called when you're like doing work with a professor? <laughs> a research assistant. Um, yeah, not exactly an assistant, but like a consultant because um, in this specific case, um, Middlebury didn't really teach how to do this, um, how do you decolonize? Um, and yeah. there were so many professors like as we covered that like didn't know how to do this work. And and, um, and some students really like um, knew the necessity for it and kind of knew um, what needed to happen to um, to get further in the school and in, in certain um, departments and certain classes so um, they could essentially work with the professor and kind of consult them um, and not individually being like okay like so this is what you have to do because like this is what I know but just like work alongside them not as an assistant but as a consultant and um, and be paid like we were I was definitely um, uh, yeah. passionate about the fact that like they would be paid for this work mm -hmm. and um, and that is an ongoing position right now. Um, if a professor, you know, volunteers to do to be um, to work with a student to do this work, and um, and there's funding as well. Um, wow, so yeah, we I wanted. Had no idea. Um, I know Middlebury just hasn't <laughs> um, <laughs> advertised all of the things that we worked for um, and that they're doing, which you know we would celebrate them for. Um, so it doesn't really make sense that they're not advertising it much. Um, 
and and that has been a big frustration um in in this process is just like there are moving parts but like there is no central um there is no central um source that's saying like hey so to address this issue we're doing this this and this and this is ongoing and this is happening and this has happened yeah well actually that's a perfect segue because speaking of the work that they're doing now it seemed like your protests or sorry your movement which is a much better word for it um your movement in 2019 happened and as a student body we didn't hear very much about decolonization and then all of a sudden in 2020 you know during you know the the movements over the summer the huge um resurgence of black lives matter the school sent out this email was saying like oh we're committed to decolonizing the curriculum and at least for me like it was hard to be to balance my emotions of being like this is a very good thing and very important and also not to be cynical that they chose to make an announcement about decolonizing the curriculum during really public social movements instead of following you know student-run movements on campus so i guess my question mm -hmm. for that is do you think that what what was in the works before 2020 before the summer and also do you think that they would have even mentioned decolonizing the curriculum if it weren't for the work that you'd already put in. Oh yeah, there's um, no doubt in my mind that um, those words would have been uttered by um, by Middlebury <laughs> in 2020 if um, if I and others that helped um, hadn't initiated this movement. Um, like <laughs> absolutely no doubt in my mind um, because this isn't this isn't a conversation like that's having that's being had in most colleges and it's in the country. Like it's not, um, it's not a popular term that's like become huge, like Black Lives Matter and um, um, and just like other um, other initiatives that like, you know, a lot of people are starting to wake up to. Like this, this was um, this was a unique thing to happen um, and. Um, the conversation was not being had at all before um, this movement, and um, the administration had no goal of this. Um, like the collective pro um, professor body, like perhaps um, some professors individually were always, you know, connected to this work, but like as um, as a collective, like um, the professional, um, sorry, the professor um, entirety, like this was not a goal. Um, and um, yeah, it was just, it was not a conversation before this movement. And um, um, I have had conversations with, um, obviously, um, as I mentioned, with um, administrators and, um, and faculty and like, they will say like, thank you for bringing this to us. Thank you for, um, um, you know, for starting this, um, it's it's incredibly important, and um, and I've even like obviously with the words that um, that um, that were spoken were by um, were by Lori Patton, and um, and I've also spoken to her about um, you know um, like as a senior, like about to leave, um, well, in the in the first semester before I knew we were really about to leave. Oh, um, yeah. Like, you know, um, this, this, um, the decolonizing curricula movement, like, this is like, it's really important to me. Um, and I do want you to know that, like, um, like I was involved, like, or like am kind of the person that started it. And, um, I really hope to, um, like be, um, in the loop about the things that are happening because I know like gears are turning, like, thankfully um and um and so um i yeah i can definitely say like it would not have happened it would not have been said without um the initiation of this movement and um and to use the like exact wording and everything and to not give credit where credit is due um is kind of baffling to me um to not to not mention whether it was me by name or just like the student effort that has made it, um, you know, like a, an actual conversation in, um, in our, in, in Middlebury 
um, amongst professors, amongst students, amongst administration, um, to not to not address where that came from was like pretty wild to me. Yeah, that seemed totally bizarre that they were just like, oh, and we have this great plan to decolonize the curriculum. And I was like, I feel like I've heard that before. Um, from yeah. Students, from here. <laughs> yeah. So, hmm. But I mean, yes. I'm so glad, obviously, that you launched the movement because otherwise it wouldn't be going anywhere. And yeah. I guess speaking and of it, day, that's more important. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, speaking of it going somewhere, um, like, do you have future plans to um, work on more decolonization movements? Like, is the school still consulting you about um, the current ones? Like, where do you stand with the with the movement right now? Yeah. Um, so. Um, I, I keep in touch with Daniel Silva, um, and he is a professor um, of um, Portuguese and um, has like has studied um, decolonizing um, like throughout his um, academic life, and um, and it's like definitely a major passion for him. And um, he he was a professor that was at that meeting with administrators administrators and others. And um, he has been an incredible help throughout this um, throughout this movement. Um, I worked alongside him, um, kind of in in the similar position of that like consultant um, student consultant um, position that I talked to you about. And we were able to have this like so many conversations about um, like what we could do for this movement and um, and different things that were happening. And um, and he was really the only one that like was keeping me in the loop. Um, and I, I really appreciate um, him for that. And um, he has told me about, um, you know, like future um, future things such as like um, more funding for the Black um, Studies um, Department and um, also just like more effort for um, Black hires um, and which we are in <laughs> great need for. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and much of that also has to do with the movement of decolonizing curricula, you know, um, like really also looking at our different departments and um, our, our, the majors that are available and um, the professors um, that are available um, to say like, hey, like, where are we not um, investing in? And, um, and yeah, so like, those are some things that are like, um, are happening and, um, I have been told about the Twilight Project. Um, um, it's gonna kind of gonna be like an archive of, um, I'm gonna explain this kind of wrong um, because it's been a while since we have this conversation. Um, but um, yeah, like there is a, like kind of like an archive um, like effort going on and um, it's going to highlight um, the necessity for decolonizing curricula and um, and possibly the movement and um, and just different um, different things, different sources that um, it's like are in light of this work and um, will hopefully be um, something that like many um, many people at Middlebury um, or people that are interested in Middlebury can look at and um, and learn from. Yeah, I've heard only a couple snippets about the Twilight Project. I don't know too much about it, but it seems so important. I feel like archival work um, is like the most, one of the most important things you can possibly do for an institution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess like speaking of the future of the institution, how, do you have any advice on like how you maintain pressure on a school, especially when given these circumstances, it seems like the school only stepped up because of the uproar of this summer. So how do you mm -hmm. keep pressure on a school after you know, the quote unquote, like fad of protests and decolonization has passed. Yeah, um, I, I think I've learned that it's just really important to um, pinpoint the people that were always interested in this work or, um, or have like learned about it um, from, from like new knowledge and ha like have decided they're passionate about it and want to uh, want to contribute to the change. Um, it's so important to, um, you know, um, find those people and um, and keep each other accountable um, to say, okay, um, here's like, here's um, where I, like here are the spaces that I occupy and here's where I can apply pressure. 
and um and just keep that continuing and um I will say um I I also like I do believe that um you know a lot of people like um believe that like you know top-down approaches never really work but like I do um I don't believe that like that's the only approach that you should take but I do believe that like that is an approach that like that should be used as heavily as possible and um and so I, I think it's really important to, um, you know, remember that like people in administration are also people and, um, and have conversations with them um, and be earnest about like why this is really important to you and why it's really important to your fellow classmates and why it's really important to, um, to professors. And, um, and that's important in getting the resources that, um, that we can get ourselves, you know? And, um, and so just like continuing this conversation always like, um, and as students, what every class that we step into um, and every assignment and um, piece of work that we're like, um, that we're told to dig into, just like always keep that um, um, like critical lens of being like, okay, like what is this piece teaching me? What is missing? Um, and um, is this liberative? Is this, um, is this, adding to powers at play already um and what voices aren't being heard um who's speaking for who um just those questions that are i think so critical to decolonizing curricula and um um yeah and just being aware of like the the role that you occupy um so um and the, the different um, the different powers that lay in, in the different roles and um, constantly checking up on um, the progress that's being made with the people and the groups that like you know are also following and also are doing the work and um, and then really just like keeping that solidarity to um, to apply pressure to the um, powers at play to the greater powers at play and um, and just yeah continually continuously doing that this is kind of a cyclical thing. Yeah, I love that. I love what you said about just rem remembering that people in the administration are people and want to have these conversations and you know want to be engaged. Like, I think that's such an important thing to remember that there are so mm -hmm. many different ways to go about movements and sometimes just having that conversation is like a really good place to start. Mm -hmm. And um, my last question for you before going on to a game, like a quote game. Oh wait, sorry. Like um, I'm gonna add one more thing. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, please. No, oh my God, um, as much as you want. It's also like be um be smart about like um you know tactical about like what it is like the place that you're trying to change says it's about you know um mm. like that was a huge um that was a huge thing from um for treasure and I to use at the meeting with administrators and faculty just to, like literally like to pull up the mission statement and being like you are promising a global education and then to show them the map um um and oh um this map can be found on the poster um um that uh daniel silva and um two students that worked with him um um created um a poster um to show um one of the things that um i showed um a poster made by aaron holmes um to show um like what classes or um what countries classes were discussing and mm. um and so you um and in contrast it's like showing that on, on a map and like um the more that the country was talked about the greater the larger it would be and like if the country <laughs> wasn't talked about at all it just like wouldn't appear on the map and you would like you kind of just like had like the whole entire continent of africa except like for like maybe egypt um like not show up at all and um but and you then, learned like, about african philosophy when college <laughs> right like, yeah <laughs> um and yeah and just seeing like like if a specific country you know was mentioned and um um and you had like a ginormous north america um and like a ginormous like western europe um and like kind of india um and yeah it just like it, it showed you right out like you are you are indeed not showing um not um uh giving us an, an a global education um it's actually pretty imperialistic and um even shows in the languages that we offer and um as like the greatest like language school in the world um and um 
and yeah so just to remember what it is that like the place that you're trying to change says it's about and and show and show it how it's not it's not meeting up to that at all um or how maybe not not at all but um or just show that it's like um it, ha it has some work to do and it's like in the collective interest of the people that have chosen to go to this institution or the people that have chosen to be part of whatever this thing is um to have their promise fulfilled and also for the institution or place itself to fulfill its purpose and its um its visions of itself yeah i love that you mentioned that because um part of this project is speaking with students at Middlebury who've been trying to enact change for different reasons. So I spoke mm -hmm. with Leith about divestment. I spoke with Celia about staff wages. And both of them also brought up the fact that they use the mission statement and they were saying that mm -hmm. our mission statement tells us this and you are doing the opposite or you are refusing to, mm -hmm. to see that these actions are like counterintuitive um, or contradictory. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that that was also something that you engaged with. There was a quote again from the same from the same campus article that said, the mission statement says it claims to prepare students to contribute to their communities and address the world's most challenging problems. And then Treasure said, whose communities are we learning how to help and, and to engage with? Exactly. And it's like, yeah, that's spot on. Like, who are we learning about? Like, North America and Western Europe. Exactly. Um, like, whose voices are being left out, um, you know, and um, and whose voices get to tell us these are problems, these are solutions. Like those aren't objective for every single community. And no, um, not at all. Yeah. So if we are consistently getting um, getting the source of like the privileged, like um, dominant um, voice, and, like what they who would define as their problems or like or just problems, um, and what they want happen, um, what they want to happen, are not going to be exactly the same as those that are um, are being hurt by that power and um, and want different change. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, my last my last question before this game is, I guess, going off of that. So you might have already answered it, but as you said, you know, the the majority of the student body at Middlebury is white, and we also have very few black professors. So Middlebury is very much a predominantly white institution or PWI. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you have any additional advice for students at other PWIs or any other school in general who are trying to decolonize the curriculum. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's like similar to like um, what I said before in terms of like how to keep this, um, um, how to keep this movement going even in, place, in a place that has started. It's just like, always always stay critical and um, examine the things that you're given um, in your classes and um, ask yourself like who is this benefiting um, who am I hearing from and um, if if this thing is, is talking about different communities and just deciding that like these are the solutions that these communities need um, and it's not coming from those specific communities like is there dissonance from what those communities would actually say for themselves and um, and also just um, consistently speaking to professors about um, what could um, what could be done to um, you know provide the missing pieces and um, how can we get together to collectively stand behind this as a school and um, how can we help professors um, get the support they need to um, to do this work um, who who doesn't really know about this work and how we can how can we help educate them um yeah just learning about like what roles are at play and um and who and educating everyone that's in, like that's part of that community to understand like why it's necessary and to just always take keep taking little steps because it's it's just yeah there's so moving there's so many moving parts yeah yeah i think that's a really a really great point of like there's so much at play like you just have to go like one step at a time and just be yeah the most knowledgeable person about it so that you can push for for what you want yeah and like keep up the solidarity um because yeah we're, we're greater together and we're greater numbers totally totally all right well with that um i so i make i subject everybody to this game where <laughs> i have some 
quotes um, who are by people who are against the movement that you're fighting for. And some <laughs> of the quotes are real and some of them are fake. And you have to guess <laughs> whether this person, um, whether this quote is a real thing or a fake thing. Okay, I will, I will um, give them this though. Um, they, um, they are against what they think it is and they are, they're not against what it's actually about. I, oh yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will stretch to say that most people um, don't understand what, um, what decolonizing means. Um, oh my God, yeah, 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 Going yeah. Like, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna give you that. <laughs> no, that's a very good disclaimer, thank you, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, so the first one is, they want to decolonize, what's next? Giving back the pieces in the British Museum? Ooh, um, can I have both please? Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> fake. Yes, it's fake. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people because have said that behind closed doors. That would imply kind of a knowledge about decolonizing. <laughs> oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> Like the British Museum doesn't have anything British in it. But oh my god! That's a conversation for another time. <laughs> Are you serious? Not one thing. Um, not really. When I the majority of things aren't British. Yeah, they have like a lot of Egyptian things, a lot of Syrian things, a lot of Ew. Greek things, and it's like, hmm, I wonder how you got these. <laughs> Much to Man. think about. Man, yeah, I know they got some good Ethiopian crosses. Yeah, mm. yeah, yep. yeah. I was actually just reading about the um, Battle of Adwa um, because Ethiopia is um, one of the only countries, um, non-European countries, that has like never been colonized. And yeah. Um, um, I yeah, I think that like that pride in that um, history of mine like has possibly led to this. <laughs> but um, um. Yeah, I was reading about the Battle of Adwa where the British were trying to um, gain control of Ethiopia and um, an emperor that was Menelik, I think the third, um, when um, when he, he effectively fought them off, but like did when um, he was about to get captured, he killed himself. And um, and then it was said that um, the British then took like, not only like really precious artifacts, <laughs> but like his hair. He had like oh, God. dreadlocks, like magnificent dreadlocks. I think, yeah, he literally took his hair. I think it's like on display somewhere. That's horrific. Jeez. I know. I know. There's really had no limits those British. <laughs> uh, yeah, the British Museum is a um, interesting, interesting place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, okay. The second quote. Get ready. <laughs> Okay. Uh, second quote is, they want to decentralize the Western intellectual traditional canonical works in favor of teaching content that can be shown to represent biological rather than intellectual diversity. Oh my. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. I feel like someone cannot have made this up. This is true. Yeah. I'm so sorry. It's horrible. <laughs> it's a horrible quote, but yeah, it's true. Oh my gosh, again, just, yeah, deep misunderstanding of decolonizing. Um, and I think that, okay, um, I'm sorry to make the fun questions like part of the serious conversation. No, they are um, part of the, I mean, that kind of quote, like super part of the serious conversation. Yeah. Yeah, um, so it reminds me of like, kind of like the, the, um, uh, the difficulty, like kind of difficulty that I, um, that, um, arose of like choosing whether um, this movement is going to be called diversifying curricula or decolonizing curricula and um, I think um, a lot of people might think like decolonizing is like racially diversifying curricula um, and and that's that's a tiny tiny um, part of it like yes we want to um, well not tiny part of it it's it, it can definitely be a substantial part of it. Um, like, yes, we want to hear um, or give um, opportunity um, to academics of color that um, should absolutely have every right to um, be recognized and um, um, given the platform in their disciplines as well as like, um, as, as well as white, um, ac ac um, sorry, academics that um, have been given that platform for 
and some of them for literally centuries like I don't know if we really need to read Hobbes anymore I just really don't um and (laughs) um so um so yeah that's that's one piece of it and but like the greater piece of it is it's not like representation um it it's not just representation it's like it's more important what that person is saying and the um the knowledge that like they're bringing it's um it's more important that their work is um evaluating power structures and um and allowing um to find like real solutions for real communities um as opposed to someone that represents um you know like just um higher powers at play um in in our world that like are benefiting from the suppression of um of smaller less powerful communities and um and having that knowledge um not be shared um so it's just like it's way more important like what we're what we're looking at um and what the work is talking about and um and the answers that like that work is providing um as well as the questions and interrogations that like that work needs um is hopefully providing um to our current um you know world structure um that it is to be like oh okay we should have that writer um as opposed to this writer because like they're a person of color yeah, I think that clarifies so much. I was actually wondering at the time why it was um, decolonizing versus uh, diverse, diversifying and that provides so much clarity. And yeah, that's super interesting. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that confusion um, slash question um, is is there with a lot of people. Mm. All right, the last one, if you're ready, is... Vermont was one of Britain's 13 colonies. So how can we decolonize if we ourselves were colonized? We were oppressed too, you know? Okay, all right. Um, well, okay. Um, if this person is saying we were colonized, I really hope they're Native American because that that's who was colonized in, in the US. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but, okay. Um, huh. Uh, okay, is it fake? It's fake. It's fake. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just felt like Americans are so obsessed with, you know, independence mm-hmm. from the British, and it's like, right? Sure. Okay, but um, <laughs> a lot more to it. But than it's like that. the people, yeah, the people that were like um, under Britain rule were British themselves, and then like, yeah, exactly. They didn't, they didn't get free from colonization because they were never colonized. They got free from the monarchy. Yeah, just one hundred percent. Yeah, they were the ones who were creating the colonies. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, don't worry, it's fake. (laughs) I mean, yeah, certain white communities were colonized, but like people, British people that came to the US were not colonized. Yeah, no. I guess and I think be... also like oh, that's no, something that people forget too like um like white countries have also been colonized like this isn't like decolonizing isn't a racial matter it's like an imperial matter you, you get what I'm saying oh absolutely I'm reading this book on Ireland and Northern Ireland right now and yeah. I'm obsessed with it but just the amount of just like absolute horror that the British imposed on Ireland is just Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I grew up in the British system, and, like, they conveniently mm-hmm. didn't mention any of that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Had to seek it oh, out yourself. And, and, oh, my God, thank you for saying that. It's, like, um, the the importance of decolonizing curricula is, like, to point out, like, not exactly sometimes what's wrong. It's to, little, it's to point out what's missing. It's to point yes. out what voices are purposefully being left out um, so that the power, like, that... Um, the powerful stay powerful and much of our education is decided by the powerful so like decolonizing it is deciding to say like our education is not going to be run by power structures it's going to be run by like like the truth and like the fact of the matter and history and our and our like actual circumstances and what can we do to better these circumstances for all of us yeah this is kind of a tangent but um for me yeah growing up in the uk like we were not taught anything like they would mm-hmm. say like oh mm-hmm. queen victoria was the empress of india and i would go like oh my because i was curious and they'd be like oh she just was oh and man that was, it. that was literally it and then um 
at the beginning so when when brexit happened the the like chief brexit person liam fox was on tv and somebody asked you know britain's about to lose like, a substantial amount of wealth like what are you going to mm. do about it and mm. he said on tv he was like well you know we were the wealthiest nation in the world before like we can do it again oh like, <laughs> do you oh, know you're gonna why be- like right, you're what? Gonna colonize the world again <laughs> Literally, I was like, um, I think you should let India know that um, that's your plan because not sure people would be super down. Yeah, also African countries, Asian countries, like literally very yeah. I poured Yeah, that it's su- it was Maybe. super disturbing. And it was like, yeah. on the one hand, like, did he say that on purpose or did he legitimately also just not have an education whatsoever on how Britain gained its wealth? Because like, for my experience, I didn't. I didn't know right, anything. Right. Right. And he's and in the yeah, it's probably the latter. Exactly. It's probably the latter. Like I think um this um focusing on this issue like has really helped me like be aware that like people that may be standing in, in the way of progress like aren't doing it because like they're evil. Like they're literally doing it because like they don't understand that there is a need for it and that like and that the side that they're taking up isn't um is a they don't understand the side that they're taking up because they they don't understand the history and um yeah there's just it's so unfortunate that um our education um in so many places is um is the way it is because um we are we are creating we are being roadblocks where we maybe wouldn't have been and um it just it would be so much easier um and I think that's why that's why I'm so passionate about education because it it can shape us to be such better people um and the the education that we're given really matters obviously yeah it literally serves everybody like it's a positive for everybody exactly and yeah I guess just the last thing I was just gonna ask is whether um there's anything else that you want to add like anything that I didn't ask that you want to talk about any other exciting new movements that you think people should pay attention to like anything at all mm. um um i would add to um well okay i'm gonna say like um if i had any advice for myself um um like in for my junior self that like was starting this movement um Mm. it was it would be to um just like go back and have hold greater accountability for the people that you already talked to um because for me um I was like okay I'm just gonna try to talk to as much people as many people as possible and then like once I talk to them they'll be like oh my god clearly this needs to happen and then they'll do the work um (laughs) and then I just need Mm. to convert (laughs) um but um, yeah, I, I definitely learned, like, it's really important to, like, go back to the people that you already talked to and being like, okay, um, so we agreed on this, right? Like, what's happening? Um, and are you keeping this promise? Um, like, there was one promise that was broken that I think could have been so influential to, to all of this. Um, um, the dean of faculty that um, was there before Sujata Murti, um, Andy, um, is her first name. I always forget her last name. Um, yeah, um, the previous dean of faculty, um, she was at the meeting as well as like Sujata Murti because we knew that um, she would be like taking over her position um, in the next year. Um, I asked um, I asked Andy as she was like the um, the dean of faculty at the time to send out an email to all of Middlebury because like we just had had a huge student meeting um, to say okay the administration has heard. Um, has heard these um these thoughts and um we know that so many of you are behind this and it's obviously of interest to our whole school (laughs) and um and so these are the steps that we're taking this is this is what we talked about and these are the steps that we're taking and um and that was an agreement between us um and at the end of that meeting that like that email would be sent um she even like sent me a draft and was like can you look over this and I like made like some small things some small um changes but like it was great but guess what? That email was never sent. Yeah, and, I was gonna say I don't um, remember getting that email. That would have been huge. Um, yeah. I I was never told the reason why it wasn't sent. Um, and um, it was hard to follow back with her because like it was the spring, um, of um, of our 
of that year and she was leaving at the end of that year um and yeah I will never be able to like get an answer um and um I I guess I wish I like every day had been like hey when are you sending that email hey when are you sending that email um to really apply the pressure and to just yeah to go back to a previous to previous promises that have been made um if someone tells you oh yeah I'm gonna keep you in the loop for this being like okay this is my email um this is like please tell me the day in which like you have this meeting tell me the day in which you want to meet with me to like tell me about it um and just get really specific um about goals and um and meeting them instead of just like blindly like believing that like people are gonna do (laughs) what they say they will always yeah that's a huge lesson like follow up and don't be afraid to follow up with people especially people who promised you that they would do something yep Mm -hmm. that's a massive lesson and it can be really intimidating, especially when you're like, oh, I already took sure. up their time. Like we already For talked, sure. but like, sure. do it. yeah, that's huge. Yeah. yeah, take up that power. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for talking with me, Wangal. I really, really appreciated it. I learned thank you a for ton. Having me. And yeah, thank you. You're um, so welcome. Okay. Um, I hope that this, yeah, this conversation um, just continues, that the effort continues. And um, I, I'm really appreciative of like, of you continuing this through this podcast and just like through the work that I know that you do at Middlebury. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. I'd like to thank Wangal again for speaking with me today. I had a really wonderful time learning from her. I feel like every single time I talk to her, I learn something new and I gain a new perspective. And yeah, I just had a total blast. So thank you so much, Wangal, for taking time out of your Wednesday afternoon to chat with me about this. And I am so lucky that I know her and I'm lucky that I get to be inspired by her. So yeah, thank you for listening.